Outdoors in Scotland. I'm John Burns, and this is my little podcast for folk who like to be outdoors. Well, pretty well anywhere, really. Um, we're in November now, as I as I record this, and uh, it's bleak and it's wet and it's grim, um, and it's, it's the sort of time where I always feel you you're kind of waiting for the real winter to begin, but it's not quite here yet, even in Scotland. Um, I'm going to talk today with my guest today, talk about food in the outdoors. Uh, I, I realise I've very much neglected talking about food. I've never done it before. Um, but I, I can remember when I first started to go into the outdoors and, and, and we tried to carry something lightweight to cook. You know, this was in the 70s and there was this 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 fledgling product called uh, TVP, Textured Vegetable Protein. And it looked just like cardboard and it tasted exactly the same. Uh, I guess it was the the precursor of corn and stuff like that. Uh, I remember one time we were in a tent and my mate, in order to get some flavour into this stuff, make poured curry powder into it. But the only downside was it was pretty dark. <clears throat> and he ended up putting virtually the whole container of curry powder in and I could feel my uh, fillings melting while we ate it, you know? So that's, that's my, that was one of my early experiences of, of, of food and camping. But um, eating outdoors actually is one of the great pleasures of being outdoors. So I'd like to introduce, um, uh, I, I was written uh, a book exclusively developed uh, to, or devoted to uh, outdoor cooking and cuisine. It's called Cookout, and my guest is Harrison Ward. Hello, Harrison, how are you? Hello, John, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Now, you, you, I understand you didn't start out as a sort of outdoor person. You, 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 you came in. Uh, you, you were more of a cook. Is that right? Yeah, I wouldn't say sort of outdoor, outdoor in the traditional sense. I guess. I mean, I was brought up in quite a, a rural area, I suppose, just outside Carlisle on Hadrian's Wall, but didn't really embrace perhaps you know the mountains or the woodlands and things until until later life. But uh, but yes, cooking had been a passion of mine from quite a young age. Cooking with my grandmother growing up and. Just learning the sort of ways of different culinary expertise from chefs and different books as a bit of a self-scholarship, really, just completely self-taught. But it wasn't until later in life that really the outdoors became part of it, too. Right. And um, there are particular challenges for cooking in the outdoors. Um, and what, what, How have you sort of addressed those in the book? Well, for myself, I've always just, again, loved that sort of food, not liking to shirk my food on, just for convenience, really. I mean, you mentioned, obviously, some there. Some particularly hurried sound in a <laughs> in yeah, the was. intro there. Yeah, but for myself, it was something that when I started yeah, embracing sort of the mountains, I mean, for me, it was really it was really as a personal um, development, I guess. I saw it as quite a means of therapy. Again, I was quite overweight at the time. I'd been struggling with my mental health. I was running pubs in York at the time, moved away there for university. And, uh, right, right. And sort of um, falling down a slippery slope into the world of alcoholism, really. So that I came back to Cumbria where I'm originally from, and was taken into the hills by a close friend. And at the time, it was something that, I suppose, before that journey began to develop, I was taking sort of food with me that I enjoyed eating normally. So I didn't want to suddenly go to a convenience element that I wouldn't have done at home. I was never a fast food right. culture type chap. So when I got into the outdoors, at first it was preparing maybe quite extravagant pat lunches, shall we say, to take up with me, or maybe little Tupperwares or fresher-based products to take out with me to enjoy us out there, mainly on the day trip type elements in there at first. And it was just something that I guess I get a lot of comments from people while I'm on the tops when I was enjoying perhaps um, some more intricate dishes, sort of nice risottos and stews out there or goulashes on top of the mountain tops while everyone else had some uh, soggy squish sandwiches or perhaps some uh, energy bars at the top. 
Yeah, yeah. I, well, well, actually, one of the pleasures of, of, of Hill walking to me is, is is the excuse to eat junk food. <laughs> I can sort of you can you can eat chocolate when you're in the outdoors without having a conscience about it. But um, so what? And uh, so you obviously brought your skills and experience to um, cooking in the outdoors and food in the outdoors. And what what sort of principles have you come up with? What sort of do's and don'ts would you suggest for people who are? I, I'm the same myself, really. I'm often pretty lazy when I'm cooking outdoors. You think, oh, I'm only bad. I am just, I'll just have a tin of this and I'll be fine. But actually, it, it, it's not a great idea, really. So, what, what, what do's and don'ts would you suggest? Yeah. So, for myself, again, well, well, chocolate was firmly still on my list, John, as well, before we go any further. Definitely, I wouldn't class that as something that I'd be uh, missing out on, well, even when down low, let alone <laughs> up high. So, that's certainly on the list still. But for everything else, it was kind of just trying to really eat sort of maybe fresher based products out there and meals I'd enjoy more so at home i feel I get a lot of enjoyment from food so again when i started discovering the, the hills and the fells as a means of also enjoyment i didn't want to sort of diminish that by sort of trying to really eat things i would normally not eat so yeah, yeah. for myself at first heading out there it was kind of really just trying to see what i could replicate initially in that sort of outdoor environment now on a stove so at first i got mm-hmm. some basically started preparing those lunches on the hilltops and right, someone right. said why don't i get a stove and actually start cooking out there from scratch now, initially, I had no equipment, so I was literally packing out everything I had at home in the right. kitchen out with me to go into these outdoor adventures to try and cook like I was at home, but now on a camping stove in the great outdoors. So one of the great criticisms I often face, which is one that I won't be addressing in this one, unfortunately, because it, it's still part of it, but is generally the weight of my pack, I guess. I mean, there's some people that are <laughs> lightweight gurus and want to really trim every little gram on there. I mean, I'm quite a bulky chap myself, so I'll generally, if I get it in a backpack, I'll get it up the hillside and... I'm sometimes inundated and offers to join me on these outdoor meals, but less so perhaps on carrying or sharing the weight. <laughs> yeah, that is the but, downside. <laughs> but there are ways it means, of course. I mean, I'll obviously decant things down where I can. I'm not taking up full sort of, you know, bottles of oil out there with me. I'm not taking full on tins. I'm decanting things down where I can. Right. I'm taking more dried goods with me too. So if I'm going for maybe a slightly more multi-day, maybe out taking in some boffies. I know you're well-versed in in Scotland yeah. up there, maybe yeah. perhaps take some more dried pulses, dried grains, rices, beans out there that are going to last a lot longer. That can perhaps also rehydrate whilst I'm on a location or rehydrating camp. And again, hardy sort of vegetables in there as well. So vegetables that are going to be able to last in a bag, no problem, and not get squished or squashed around as they're going. So again, also your onions in there, again, your carrots, rather than perhaps sort of tomatoes and more fragile-based things that are unlikely to yeah. survive getting transport transportation really so while i'm out there again it's just always about trying to really plan my recipes in advance of what i'm going to cook depending on how far i'm going i'm not trying to convince people to cook fresh food all the time for big point yeah, to yeah. point this is very much sort of like a micro adventure type thing so heading out there perhaps i love to go up a fell to watch a lovely sunset have a little cook yeah, while i'm yeah. doing so find it quite mindful enjoy that there may be other people that might go to the coast for the day perhaps even some swimmers that maybe want to have a bit of food out and about, or even sort of maybe some of the climbers bouldering in the peak district, perhaps, or sure. out there. So, and the really bleak conditions, of course, I'm not going to try to convince people to go and knock up a lovely katsu curry on sort of a bigger, uh, when it's blowing a hoolie on one of the mountaintops. But I think for me, I've just found that enjoyment, perhaps, of looking forward to a nice meal, be that on the tops in the environment, or yeah, coming yeah. back down to base camp, perhaps after a great walkout. So, again, trying to pack things out where I can, try to use dried goods in there where possible, decanting things down into small elements again making sure i know what i'm bringing back as well with me afterwards considering that in terms of if i'm packing into quite heavy containers that might be quite durable for walking up there perhaps but i'm still gonna have to carry that all the way back down afterwards even once the produce has been used so 
trying to use lightweight where possible, little bits in so. And again, yeah. always just choosing my, my equipment as well based on what I need. So I tend to cook on quite a wide flame head burner, probably one that's quite large for general sort of um, backpacking well, or yeah, hiking. Yeah. But... I, I mean, the, can we maybe talk a bit about that? I think of that's course. Yeah, of course. Um, the, 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 obviously, the, 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 this, I mean, backpackers and, and, and walkers will, and campers will, will go on for, can talk probably for several hours usually about, about the merits of various um, stoves. And I wondered what your experience was because I, I was quite surprised to hear you talk about things like pulses because these are things obviously that often need simmering and perhaps a longer uh, time cooking than you would. That is, and one of the problems I found certainly with with the standard um, sort of gas cookers that there are about is that they're great for boiling a cup of tea, but when you want to cook something low for a longer period in a lightweight pan, one it, it, it tends to stick to the pan. And also, it can be very difficult to get your your burner to function properly to simmer something. Have, have you found the secret of doing that? Have you? Well, in terms of the pulses I was mentioning, I mean things like sort of your red lentils, of course, you're not going to need that that time as much to be caught cooking up, boiling up as you would do perhaps some of the other pulses. So again, it is choosing those accordingly. I wouldn't tend to be trying to plan something. I'm going to be slow cooking for for hours and hours on end. Of course, I mean God knows how much gas or how much fuel you need to take with you for that sort of intrigue. Yeah, yeah. But trying to pre-think those bits at times or maybe using some sort of rehydration tactics or dried goods in there again like your jerkies and rehydrating those through into meals as you go can mean you can really sort of bring these dishes together right now and about now the stoves wise for example as you say many of the stoves are designed for getting that water boil as quickly as possible in the elements mm. and also facing off generally with perhaps the external uh weather conditions it's going to be facing in so also maybe your jet boil type thing or your brew kits or your OEX Hero, for example, you're going to get a nice quick boil on the water there for a tea, coffee, or for a dehydrated meal. But they too are great for keeping obviously the rolling boil going. So they're great for things, maybe doing your grains, maybe your rice is in there, perhaps some some greens. If there's a couple of you heading out and someone's brought that for cooking up for a quick cupper on the hillside, and you maybe got the slightly different stove for the meal afterwards, using those in tandem can work quite well right. too. I've tend to focus the whole book around cooking on a single burner. So all the dishes yeah. have been developed yeah. around that sort of style, that single heat source that obviously differentiate differentiates from the aspect of having an oven at home, perhaps, or elements in there. But I tend to favor someone with a slightly wider flame head where possible. And I tend to cook on, on a lot of gas. I do cook on little sort of controlled wood burners as well at times. Yes, I've yeah. used solid fuel stoves as well. I'm not cooking on open fire as such, but again, you're going to have a similar problem there, of course, when you come to simmering in various bits or quite intense heat once again if you were doing sort of my open fire based bit so heat management i suppose of of the equipment is quite essential for doing so yeah yeah I tend to also try it again and i appreciate it comes down to knife skills sometimes but if you can cook things nice and fine rather than big chunky chops as well it's going to cook through much more evenly especially with meats right. and stuff in there so using sort of a titanium pan with a sort of wider flame head a larger surface area with smaller finer cooked produce it's going to be that's going to cook a lot quicker through and through. Now you can achieve these dishes still on more of a chamber pot type stove. Again, more like your intense burner, but mm -hmm. you are getting much more likely that heat transfer, the chance of catching. You have yeah. to be much more vigorously yeah. stirring. But that's to say, it isn't possible. It's perhaps just for those that even like more and more of a challenge, and perhaps more the lightweight side of things that want to yeah. keep a small chamber or canister stove in there. Just so, means. So that tell us what's the advantage then of having a wider burner? Why have you found that more effective for? for the sort of perhaps slightly more complicated cooking, you know? Well, perhaps this is mainly from, from where I've sort of began to cook, I guess. I mean, for me, it replicates the hob style at I home see. that we use more, much yeah. more um, 
it's much more afraid with that sort of style. So, and it tends to be, I mean, I've cooked for sort of, if I'm going out with just maybe one or two, I'll have a much more smaller canister stove, but I've been cooking out so on the hills for quite large groups, whether it's sort of school groups out there or bigger bins out there, as mentioned, as 30 people on the hillside. So using a small, right. uh, still a small sort of tripod stove with quite a wide burner with sort of yeah. more traditional pan size means I can then get that cooked through and create a big pot pot of goods through on the hilltop. So the wider flame head I've generally always favoured, just for the heat distribution style of things. So uh-huh. whether I'm making little sort of flatbreads out there or little pancakes, even just or even just cooking bacon in the morning and sort of thing, I find you're not going to get much of an intense heat spot in the centre of your pan. Depends on the obviously equipment you right. utilise. Right. With that wider flame head. So that can come with more gas consumption, of course, at times, rather than the smaller ones, and can come with perhaps um, less power, perhaps in, in, in the winds. And when I tend to cook on the mountain tops as well, obviously quite exposed, which generally yes, they're not. Yes. Um, the practicality is obviously even less so. <laughs> Find a bit more natural shelter for perhaps um, these wider ones is needed as well. So some stone shelter in there, perhaps a little uh, concertina windshield sort of thing. But I tend to always prefer just having that style just for the heat distribution that I can get in a pan. And therefore I can achieve, I guess, much more culinary um, kitchen style dishes, I suppose, while still being out, out in nature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's really one of the nice. I mean, to be honest, I, I've, um, as you perhaps aware, I, I, I've graduated to. Uh, I, I, I'm the antithesis to the lightweight camper. I, uh, I've got a a, a wood burning stove and it sits in a tent. And the great thing about the wood burning stove is that you can effectively use it as an ordinary hob, and you can cook fresh meat. You can cook pretty well anything you want to actually on that. Uh, but that's but that's that that's I'm I'm aware that's the the sort of heavyweight ex- extreme, you know. I'm very interested to hear you saying you 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 cook uh, flatbreads. That's something I've always wanted to try and, and never had the courage. How do you do that? Well, they'd be perfect again. Your little wood burner as well, those John, because again, they, they just they just need a dry surface really, so a dry and hot surface. So again, uh-huh. I don't use an oil in a pan sort of thing. And I suppose there's two different, well, even maybe three different ways you could go about this. So you could pack out perhaps even the dry mix itself. For the flatbread, whether that was just some flour, right. a bit of seasoning in there. I tend to use a little bit of baking powder in mine. I don't tend to yeast them, sort of unleavened flatbreads. Yeah, yeah. Could is go that, down is, more is deeply, like um, sourdough, or is that a different thing? No, that's generally a yeasted one. So that's usually a yeasted starter for a sourdough. Ah, right, okay, an, aged, okay. an aged yeasted starter that you then sort of keep feeding as time goes on. So it basically develops those flavours over a longer bit of time. I and you use it. that almost as your starter proofer for yeah, a regular yeah. dough mix, which gives you that nice aeration and gives you that slightly sour fermented taste if you will but the flatbread tend to be um the, the, there's a lot of them are unleavened so you may get more sort of naan bread culture which tend to be which are yeasted but generally if you're just oh. using a flatbread for more like the greek style maybe the hero yeah, sort yeah. of yeah, yeah. Or, or just as you say just a simple flatbread then simply flour plain flour maybe a pinch of salt through there i tend to put a little bit of baking powder in but you could do without yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. water would be enough to bring together a dough that would create a great flatbread now, I, in an ideal world, I like to add a bit of yogurt in there, but of course, maybe transporting that sometimes for longer distance. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Play a part. Perhaps you could pack the milk out for your coffee, and that might turn into yogurt as you're going. So, <laughs> <laughs> might then work out for your flatbread. Well, could well do, yeah, yeah. And you can but, just bake that on a flat surface, can you? Absolutely. So, you could take the, take the dry mix out itself and just make that up with some water whilst you were at base. Again, once you've set up perhaps camp, or once you've worked with your boffy or a certain mm-hmm. spot. Or you could bring up a dough you've already made. If you're just doing it for a couple of days, it will last absolutely fine a pack. No right. problem. So then right. simply just push out onto a flat surface, so like maybe a wooden board or even just a plastic sort of lightweight board, a little bit of flour, push that out with your fingers or maybe roll out of a water bottle or a yeah, wine yeah. bottle. If you pack one of those out, it's no problem. 
and then um, roll that into a nice flat surface and simply into a hot, dry pan just for a couple of minutes each side till it slightly starts to cook through. It will come away from the pan quite nicely right. and you'll get a bread cooked both sides in a couple of minutes. Simple as that, really. So even on a dehydrated meal pack, just to amplify that slightly, that could be the first sort of starts or forays into cooking something outdoors that's going to really just take that to another level. So again, a bit like the damper style breads too, you often see where you should cook on a stick over a fire. Uh-huh. Same, same sort of principle, but... Again, simply flour and water will bring a simple flatbread dough together. But if you want to really gentrify that up slightly, then again, some yogurt through there, perhaps, or some maybe even olive oil or salts or some herb seasonings through that is really going to take that to a, a different level. But it would work just as well on the top of your little wood burning stove, that one, John. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really good. I mean, I mean, I I, I, I bake a lot of bread and I really love the the the, the, the smell and the, and the sort of the, the, the atmosphere the cooking bread creates. And there's nothing, there's nothing, I don't think there's one of the, the finest things in life really is 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 to eat bread that's still that's still warm that you've just cooked and that, that sounds like a great way of doing it in the in the outdoors. I I really I really will have to try. I'll I'll try that and I'll report back. You know, <laughs> I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard some people also even maybe sacrificing perhaps even a dry bag or such and having almost that as the the bag that they sort of mix it in. So rather than using a mixing bowl, for example, you then got to maybe wash up perhaps afterwards or cart uh-huh. down or difficult to maybe even pack into a bag. Using sort of a dry sack that's quite sealed. Again, to pour the dried goods in there and add your water into there and almost massage and knead it in the sack can then be a good way to sort of bring a dough together for that oh, purpose. Oh, that's a good idea. Because, well, yeah, because it can be a bit messy, can't it? So uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that keeps it all self-contained as well. Then you can perhaps use that bag for your rubbish afterwards and clean it out once you get back. Great. That sounds a great idea. So to, to talk us through what, what's, what's like um, if you have... If you're going to pick your favourite meals, man, well, maybe that may be very difficult because you've you've got hundreds in your book. Um, well, what, what what's your favourite sort of breakfast to be cooking if you're if you're out camping and 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 you're in perhaps in the fells and you wake up um uh, and it's it's not too windy? Well, what what would you choose to cook? Do you think? Absolutely, yes. We've got 85 in the book in total. We've got them in different sections. We've got 12 breakfasts all in all in that section. Going oh, right. through yeah, So one-pot dishes, something special. We've got some desserts uh-huh. in there as well. But breakfast-wise for myself, again, I've varied some ones in there for some more simplistic um, style, maybe sort of a, a French toast in there. There's a bit sort of like, um, um, <clears throat> again, traditional sort of full, full breakfast type thing in there. But also perhaps pancakes are generally one I go to quite regularly because I think they're something that, are great for sort of families that are out and about and also something that you can yeah. make at home first and pack into right. a traditional flask. So flasks I tend to use a lot of because I think flasks are brilliant for keeping things hot but also great for keeping things cold. So again, if you make a mix at home first, to count that into a flask, so that could be a pancake mix, it could be like oh, a more crepe, okay. European crepe style, or it could be more of an American style, which tends to be thick and fluffy. Yeah, yeah. It could even be an omelette mix, so you could break your eggs in there to save you decanting eggs in your backpack, risking them going cracking all over your yeah, looks. Yeah, 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 they're a nightmare. You have those cracks straight into a flask, and it's also going to keep them refrigerated for a lot of period of time on that bit. So again, even if you're out more in this sort of time of year, you've got sort of nature's fridge in a way, if it cools down at night, so you're going to use yeah, that to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And a flask will keep it all fine there. So for a simple wild camp, one or two nights, it will keep absolutely fine, and it means you can just pour that straight into a pan right from the flask, minimalise that mess, and just wash that out as soon as you get home. So again, some pancakes there, Maybe some syrup to cancel into a small toiletry bottle, even an old alcohol miniature bottle, a little yeah. bit of syrup in there. So you've got quite a small, lightweight, self-contained bit in there, which is simply with a pan and a flask, you can get some nice pancakes for the morning when you've woke up on your wild camp. So again, always one that's going to lift morale in camp. And I think just uh, yeah. quite an indulgent breakfast to enjoy when you're uh, it's hopefully that enjoying sounds, it. That sounds really good. I mean, I, I must admit, I'd never thought 
of, of effectively carrying the batter in in a container, making it first. That's because it, it's as you said. I mean, I've always I do carry eggs sometimes, but but my heart's always in my mouth. You know, you always think, am I am I going to wake? Am I going to open my rucksack and find it full of full of egg, which is not 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 something you'd really want to do. You know, that sounds great. I mean, I, mean, I must admit, Jill, I ha- I have had a rucksack soaking in the bathtub on a few occasions, so I have come across <laughs> a few, a spillage from time to time. But uh, yeah, it's not what you want to. You want to reveal on the hilltop. It's not one you'd want to repeat. No, I've had things like that, yeah. particularly in my rucksack, but it'd be, be mixed with coal and all sorts of stuff. Not a great idea. <laughs> um, so, what would you give us a lunch that you cook? Because that that's already expanded my uh, my horizons in cooking quite a bit. Brilliant stuff. Well, again, lunch wise, again, so when we go some sort of one pot dishes on this sort of vein, I think are probably best. Then, so quite simple there, because I have moved on to some which are certainly more pan juggly, which I expect to be generally cooked more at. Uh, at a campsite, perhaps even for yeah, camp in a coffee, maybe yeah. on there, yeah. So I mean, I, I've achieved those on the tops, but I appreciate the uh, the satire and the almost ridiculousness of uh, maybe cooking those on a hill summit. I think it's just trying to expand the horizon somewhat, and I enjoy the challenge as well. I mean, I've recently sort of maybe dubbed it as a, a similar sort of practice to perhaps the extreme ironing phase that came out a few years yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Ironing boards on the hillside, and you're going, well, what is the point in that? But I think for me, it's just again two places or two things I love doing and mixing those and just yeah. seeing. Can I take that up the hillside? Can I carry that up there? And can I knock that up on the hilltop? Just as a bit of a quirky, fun bit. But if I was doing a big point to point, of course, I'd probably be more reliant, perhaps again, on more the dried goods or mm-hmm. stopping off in camp or again, utilizing the dehydrated more, which certainly have their purpose. I'm not anti dehydrating stuff. But when it's a simple day trip out there or just an overnighter, I'm just thinking, why can't we sort of bring in, you know, much nicer food out there for people like myself that. I find I'm, I'm very much in the foodie category, I guess. I class myself as sort of a foodie, so I wouldn't want to be minimalizing my enjoyment for an experience whilst having to almost eat something that I wouldn't eat normally, I guess. But for me, yeah, I yeah. guess, well, that makes sense. Well, well, I maybe think... go for a bit of a... We mentioned the flatbread, so perhaps if we go for a bit of sort of a bean stew in there, sort of thing. there's the one I go to quite a bit. It's on the cover of the book, which oh, is like right. a Tuscan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks great, Tuscan yeah. style yeah. bean stew in there. So in there, we've got some sort of cannellini beans through there. We've got some chopped tomatoes. We've got some roasted red peppers, some onions, some garlic, and some spices through that as well. So, again, you can either be breaking these bits down, either carrying the tins themselves up there with the weight, if that's okay, going to keep right. them quite simple contained. Right. Um, obviously, you just <clears throat> bring the tin back down after you, or you could decant these down again into perhaps some uh, little screw-top plastic containers to eliminate some of that weight. It means you could maybe drain some of those beans off as well, so you're not carrying that extra water weight yeah, for yeah. that yeah, yeah. before you come. So, again, they'll last drains outside the tin no problem for a couple of days as well so right. um, it's not as long for a multi-day but again if you're longer or spends more time in a camp or again you were in the camper van style then again you could pack some dried cannellini beans and rehydrate those sure. as you go and uh we probably both know um james forrest a chap who's done a lot of her uh, hills in the past and an outdoor journalist i think he once covered the um it was more of a trail cooking practice that was all this sort of cold soaking practice that you see a lot of the lightweight campers maybe oh yeah 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 do yeah. so one particular one, I mean, not to be crude, John, but it was there. I think they were basically cold soaking and uh, popping the pouch down the front of their trousers to sort of gently warm it as they walked. And they kept things oh, right, re- okay. hydrating <laughs> as they were going. And I mean, for me, it sounds absolutely god awful, but I think it just means you can rehydrate things on the move somewhat. So you could be rehydrating these beans on a camp on the go or in the rucksack if you brought the dried goods. But in this occasion, I'm going to maybe decant a tin, uh, decant those out into a little container and carry with me. So we've got the chopped yeah. tomatoes. We've got the beans now decanted. Now, the red peppers, I tend to, I'll either roast them at home first. I'll roast these in the oven so they're really blackened, so the right. skin's completely burned. 
and leave them slightly covered slightly to, to steam. So those skins will just really tear off the flesh, leaving behind this really sweet, smoky interior of the pepper, which really adds to one of these dishes. Now, you can buy these jarred as well in brine, or you can buy these in, in oil or vinegar, which, again, are sort of semi-preserved as they are. So right. they are the absolute grand. And, again, you could perhaps even take that a step further and dehydrate these yourself if you've got a dehydrator, or buy a sort of a powdered roasted red pepper as well to really bring the weight down on this. But I'm going to take up the ones that are roasted and chopped. Yeah, yeah. And have them as well in a simple bag. And then we've got sort of an onion and a garlic, which again, I'll just I'll take those up in the whole form. So they're going to be quite hard in a pack, no problem at all, down the side of a pouch to use on the hillside. So then simply in a pan with an oil, I tend to use oils that have got quite a high smoke point. So I'll use more vegetable oil or a rapeseed oil because I find like an olive oil can burn quite quickly, especially right. in intense heat with like a yeah, small, yeah. thin titanium pan. That heat transfers very quickly from that hot stove into there. Yeah. Um, to try and contend with the elements. But that means an oil is going to reach smoke point very quickly. So using an oil like a vegetable oil or a rapeseed is going to stop that real smoky and burnness you're going to get perhaps to certain dishes. So and then a finely chopped onion into that pan with some garlic. Again, you can maybe even sacrifice that for some onion powder, garlic powder, if you really wanted to squeeze down on the on the weight of the pack. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to go in with those roasted red peppers or perhaps even the dry peppers if you brought those up, through the beans, in the tomato, and then we're going to go in with some spices like some paprika through there, some salt, a little bit of sugar in there as well to bring out the natural sweetness of the tomatoes and some herbs, that's some oregano in that bit. Just bring that to a slight simmer. No, not as long as you would do at home. We're not trying to reduce this down for hours. Again, just a simmer for a couple of minutes or so. Right. And you're going to get a really nice, sweet, smoky, herby bean stew to enjoy on the hilltops there. And if you made some of those flatbreads you mentioned before as well, mm -hmm. tag that on the side. You've quickly elevated into quite a... Uh, gastronomic yeah, um, enjoyment to enjoying camp. So a bit of a Tuscan bean stew, I'd go with as a little lunch option, perhaps. And a very healthy option too, really. Because uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, that one, that's, that's a vegan dish as well. I, mean, I myself, I'm not vegan. I'm, 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 and I'm, basically, you could add some nice chorizo through there as well. You could pack some dried sausage in there as well, perhaps. Would work really well. Some chicken, you may be carried up as well, perhaps, if you were wanting to go that sort of side. But that particular dish, we've kept vegan. And again, Obviously, be extra careful when you are taking up uh, any raw meats out for any duration of time to make sure they're maybe kept in a cool bag nicely or kept in an ice pack in a food flask can work quite well, or even take them up dry to rehydrate once up and about. But there are ways and means for sure of uh, enjoying nice meat on the fells as well. But that dish itself, sweet, smoky, and, and vegan on that occasion. Yeah. I mean, how long do you feel that it, it, without being refrigerated, is it, is, it, is it quite safe to take, say, meat up on the hill? and maybe cook it the following morning or the following day. Can you rely on something to keep like that, do you think? Now, it's, it's all down to temperature control, really. And, of course, without right. taking up sort of um, anything to, to to actually probe such a meat on there, again, you are trying to maybe eyeball this to somewhat, or you're trying to uh, judge it when out and about. But if you were traditionally in sort of, again, a culinary kitchen at home or in a, in a commercial kitchen, it's all about maintaining that temperature control in your fridge to make sure right. it's safe and healthy to eat. So again, I wouldn't recommend on a particularly hot day carting things out there and relying on it overnight to be there. It's going to go to room temperature, so you're more likely to get your sort of bacteria and things coming through right, that to right, grow. Right, so right, right. be careful on there. But there are ways in terms of again, I sometimes pack things out. Um, again, wide lip sort of food flasks that are insulated can be quite good because you can squeeze like an ice pack into there with the meat that will keep right, that okay. all refrigerated internally in the pack. You could also pack things into more like a sous vide type measures. Pack them into like a if you were taking maybe uh, a flask with some hot stock in there, perhaps, or hot water, having meat in there will act as sort of a slow cooking method 
whilst you're on the walk as well, which will mean that the meat's a lot more tender once you've reached that point. Two can work. Dehydrated meats, again, you get a lot of beef jerkies, turkey jerky these days, you get mm-hmm. reindeer jerky coming from Scandinavia. That can nicely, quickly crumble into some of these um, oh, right. okay. these sauces too and rehydrate in the sauce. So again, it can be quite chewy as a snack initially. And obviously that's how they used to maybe preserve yeah. to go at further distance, but you can rehydrate yes, yeah. them through a meal as well, no problem. But one I like to use quite a lot is, um, and it may be any diabetics that are listening, John, but sometimes you get these insulin packs that are quite like little square Ziploc bags for diabetics. All right, okay. Insulin in. Now, keep with, stay with me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> these are also really good for keeping a nice steak in there. They're the perfect size for a steak. So you can get All a steak right. in these little packs <laughs> with a nice thin ice pack alongside it, and you're going to maintain that refrigeration style for all that meat whilst on the move. But as mentioned, again, we, you know, we're quite lucky in this part of the world. You may have listeners from all over, but we don't have too many bears in this part of the world either. No. So you can really use the outdoors and the nighttime to refrigerate some stuff further as well. If you hang that up out there, nicely contained, nicely sealed away from any particular um, wildlife, perhaps, then you can use that natural coolness through the night to help keep things refrigerated for slightly longer as well when out and about. But in the summer months, yeah, I would be avoiding things like fresh seafood, and again, oh, trying to yeah, keep any chicken that's yeah. getting warm in the pack because uh, that's probably going to result in a, a dicky tummy next morning or the day, that day after. Well, that's really, that's really amazing, uh, fascinating stuff. So, yeah, there's quite a lot of uh, great ideas in there. And your book has got, did you say, 84 recipes in total? Is that right? Yeah, 84 was the plan. We ended up, we ended up squeezing an extra one in there at the end. So we've got 85 in total. 85. I think an extra side dish made its way. And I, mean, I was cooking rice quite a lot in there, so I think we felt like we maybe put an extra section just for the rice, just in case anyone wanted a bit more of a walkthrough on a, on how to cook rice in the outdoors. So 85 are coming together from breakfast to there's some sandwich options in there. We've got some desserts, some one pots. One I've dubbed Summit Special, which are all dishes that require maybe a little bit more, possibly two pans or reusing a pan right. Right. along the way. And we've also got some snacks that you can make at home first to take out with you. So some great pies in there, energy balls, jerky at home to make out on a trip, just to enjoy perhaps on a little day walk or even something to keep you fueled alongside the dishes to cook out there. So brilliant dishes, just really all around different adventures. Again, I'm not trying to convince people to go and do John O'Groach to Land's End and cook like this every single night, you know, uh, eat like uh, kings, but for little day walks out there again or little camp somewhere overnight, perhaps even with family or friends, just a nice way to enjoy mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. food in the outdoors. I think, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that comes across when I looked at it is that a lot of these things would be great to do with, with kids and with family. And, and, and you know, we t- if you're just sort of marching across the hills and trying to get as far as you can, as light as you can, it's perhaps not not the sort of thing you'd want to look at. But but certainly, I think if if it, if you if particularly if you you want to be there and have a a pleasant social experience outside with friends and enjoy good food, then this is one way you can do it. Yeah, no matter how remote you are, in some ways. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I mean, there's there's definitely a little sort of a homage and nod i suppose to how we you know we cooked outdoors originally our ancestors over fire in the well, outdoors absolutely. The stars. Yeah. and i think yes of course there's modernities in there there's modern ingredients there's modern cultures and modern recipes but it's almost coming full circle of taking that yes. back out to its original form and i think sometimes you know we're never in some of these parts been too far away from sort of civilization and bits to stock up on these elements so we do live in a world now where we have got you know multicultural ingredients and recipes yes. that are available to yeah. us so, you know it's yeah. not going to be completely um just 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 meet on a stick sort of over the fire type vibes but it's kind of yeah. something that yeah to get others involved as a social sort of setting also a little bit of a morale boost and i think for me i've just i've always enjoyed food i've loved how food become that became that conduit for conversation perhaps around a table so 
all around that campfire. So using a proverbial campfire, like the camp stove, in the outdoors, in camp, with the tents all gathered around or even sort of sheltered up on a wild camp somewhere, out in the boffy. If you all come together and enjoy a nice, warm, hot, freshly cooked meal in the outdoors afterwards, I just think it's something that's really going to elevate those experiences, create some memories for everybody too. And again, it's just I've just always loved my food, John. So I think it's just something that's going to really provide an extra an extra benefit, an extra enjoyment to a time in the outdoors. But sometimes, perhaps you just want to pack a Mars bar, get to the summit, and just enjoy, <laughs> enjoy a little well, day out for yourself. I always like to think there's room for everything, but you've certainly inspired me. Next time I go out, I'm going to cook something I've never cooked before out of your book. <laughs> How was that? Harrison, Can't wait to see you. Much. It's been lovely speaking to you. You've got, you've got a great little book with some really fantastic little line. You certainly made me think about things that I could do. Thanks very much, and, and thank you very much for talking to me. And thank you very much for your time as well, John. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye.